Jason's really giving me some Billy from Stranger Things vibes. Sure. Who do you think you are, Billy? (laughs) (laughs) No, you don't want to be Billy. No, No, you're not. He's great. And Jason's (laughs) great, not Billy. (laughs) Poor Billy. Bollywood. I'm Kim. And I'm Katie. And we're here to talk about... Uh, <laughs> it's it's really, there's not a ton of singing or dancing, but there's some great music. There's some um, excellent music. Yes. Yeah. And definitely one of your favorite, and I think I can safely say he's my favorite, Mollywood boys. Yeah. So I was going to wait until you started the plot description, but to say this, but I don't think it's important to wait and it feels relevant now. Um, okay. So, you know, his dad, like, the yeah, guy who plays his dad, <laughs> the guy uh-huh. who plays his dad, Tavino Thomas, who plays Tavino Thomas's dad. <laughs> um, uh-huh. <laughs> I'm watching it. And I was like, man, his dad's kind of hot. (laughs) And then I was like, I wonder who that is. (laughs) And um, I looked it up and did confirm that it was, in fact, the man that I was staring at the entire film. (laughs) Okay. I spent that whole, this that was a whole roller coaster ride for me, because I spent that whole thing wondering, I was like, do you mean his, like, old man dad? No, I mean, like, like I'm dad. sure that man was handsome in his day. Oh, no, his dad was, but, his, 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 I don't know, his, his adoptive father. father was very cute. But no, I meant, But no, like, you just meant, you didn't realize that Tavino Thomas was playing his own dad. Yes, yes. And so clearly, I don't know if it was the outfit or the hair or yeah. the beard. Well, he's, it's, I think it's the beard. Um, yeah. Well, you know, as we talk about future movies, you'll see that, like, the ch- the changing of his hair and the changing of his facial hair can totally change his vibe. And it's yeah, like kind of like Ron Veer. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they, and they use it to great effect. Um, we should Amazing. probably mention <laughs> we're talking about Minnal Murali this week. And obviously we've said his name several times already, but Tavino Thomas is in our leading role. Mm. Uh, Guru Somo Sundaram is our, I guess for lack of a better word, antagonist. Um, He makes me sad. I can't wait to talk more about those sad (laughs) feelings. Also, the movie was directed by Basil Joseph. I did want to just tell you heading into it, Uh I liked it. Great. (laughs) And would happily watch it again. I don't think that I am at your level, which I think is okay. okay. (laughs) I met it where it was at. And it was like, (laughs) we are a wholesome, at times sad film about Mm -hmm. a small community Mm -hmm. and what you'll do to protect your neighbors and like what makes a hero. And there's some humor and mostly it's just about heart. And I love that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's a it's a great story. It's really well done. It's great. So, starting off, we begin the film in a very dark place, literally and figuratively. Um, <laughs> but we're at a festival where there's a bunch of people watching a play, and 
right at the like pinnacle moment of the play as the hero is like descending from on high mm. someone comes out and announces that firecrackers are on fire they're going off there's a big fire a bunch of explosions people start running there's a little boy in the audience who gets kind of left behind um, mm. it's very scary and we do see that little boy it, like he gets kind of blown off his feet and he's looking off to the side and he sees the hero of the play presumably be engulfed in an explosion mm-hmm. all of that becomes m- more relevant later <laughs> <laughs> wink <laughs> because then we shift gears and it's not entirely clear like if we're in a different time or a different place but we're mm-hmm. just something different is happening and we are over in the village of kurukan mula yeah And we get a quick news report about a freaky lightning storm that's going to be coming that night. (laughs) And then we meet some of our key characters, including the police chief, who is complaining to one of his fellow cops about this upstart young man who's been sniffing around his daughter, uh, and Mm -hmm. he doesn't like it. And we also meet Shibu, who is kind of an outsider, and we hear the police chief call him insane, which isn't great, uh, but is important for establishing what happens to his character yeah and then we meet jason (laughs) Uh, yeah (laughs) and what an entrance he gets we see him first he's doing a photo shoot that we then learn is for his passport photo but he's definitely not treating it that way no he's treating it like he's an abiba's model yes Um, he is wearing an abiba's shirt i love Uh, it yeah, he's just a real vibe. He's got a belt buckle that's shaped like a fist and has like a spinny part to it. Yeah. His intro music is fantastic. Yep. <laughs> it's just really good. It really sets the vibe. Yeah, and what we find out too about Jason in this moment is that he's got these plans to make it big in America. He's a tailor and he's like, mm-hmm. nobody knows how to make their own clothes over there. So he's going to go, he's yeah. going to make all this money. That's yeah, very it's true. true. We outsource <laughs> all of our clothing making. It's kind of an issue. <laughs> It's a big global modern (laughs) slavery anyway. (laughs) Sticking more with the fun stuff that that there is to talk about here. We learn that he is the upstart young tailor who the police chief was complaining about. And he goes, he's like talking to his girlfriend, Bincy, who's the police chief's daughter. And the police chief kind of like roughs him up a little bit and is like, stay away from her. She's already engaged. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, it's Christmas. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Love this. And also, I would totally be down to count this as a Christmas film. I think it very well can be a Christmas film. There does yeah. not need to be more than one scene where Christmas nope. is happening. And <laughs> so uh, because it's Christmas, Jason, uh, he decides he's going to dress up as Santa Claus and go with like a group of carolers to confront Bincy at her house. Yeah, as I was watching this. I was like, love that this Santa is just like belly thrusting. And I wrote, Santa's my favorite. (laughs) And then I realized only after the fact that it was Jason. I like that the theme of this for you has been not realizing how many people in this movie are Tavino Thomas. (laughs) It's like I've got face blindness. (laughs) He is wearing a mask as Santa. So that kind of made sense. But it's like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm glad that that caught you, yeah. I also want to mention the fact that the subtitles uh, said that the song that these carolers are singing was Jingle Bells, which it definitely wasn't. 
<laughs> I did not notice that. It was like, it's, this could not be less like Jingle Bells, and that's fine, but like, don't tell me that it is. But so anyway, Jason dressed up as Santa. He goes to confront Bincy. This con- confrontation does not go well. Bincy's basically like, nah, not into you anymore. I'm marrying Anish. Get out of here. Yeah. Meanwhile, Shibu, the man we met earlier at the cafe, goes home and he learns from the perpetually shirtless man he lives with, who might be his dad, might be his brother, might not be related to him. I don't know who this man is. (laughs) Oh, that's a good... I think I just thought he was his roommate. I don't don't know. He might just be his roommate. I don't know who he is. He, like, knows details about his childhood later on, but then we also know that Shibu's dad presumably abandoned him. Right. So this man, (laughs) who Shibu lives with, um, who's always shirtless and always working on making firecrackers, um, he tells Shibu that a woman named Usha has moved back to town. Mm -hmm. um, And he warns Shibu that he can't cause any trouble. He's got to leave her alone um, because he can't, like, cause problems like last time. And Shibu is visibly elated by this news that this woman, Usha, has moved back to town. Um, And so he gets in a boat and he paddles across the river over to Usha's house. And there's some great, like, both creepy and romantic music playing as this is happening. Um, Like, that's the gray area that Shibu lives in for the whole movie. Well, not for the whole movie. He goes pretty heavily into the creepy side at the end. Yeah. (laughs) But we learn from a flashback that Shibu has been in love with Usha since they were teenagers. She never was in love back with him, and she actually eloped with a lorry driver and had his baby. But now that man has left her, and she's back living with her brother. Yeah, I did make a note that young Shibu seemed like such a sweet boy who was just like socially awkward and wasn't sure how to approach Rusha, which is okay, but then it's kind of creepy to just constantly be staring at her, like... Right, yeah, like, he wasn't trying to do anything predatory, but because he lacks some certain social skills, it certainly seemed to come across that way, and as we'll see... Usha has come up against predators in the past. Yeah. And so it's understandable that she and her brother, who's very protective of her, would be worried about this, like, boy who's just kind of hanging around. Yeah. Um, It's just, the whole thing is sad. Like, right off the bat, I was like, oh, my heart hurts for you, kid. I know. And grown man who was just looked down on. Yeah. And that's what I feel like they do such a good job of, is making you feel sympathy Mm -hmm. for shibu um this is a good quote-unquote villain this is the villain who i've been comparing all of the other villains to (laughs) yeah yeah none of them have his backstory none of them give you the understanding that we have for him yeah anyway so both jason and shibu they're having these moments of unrequited love and in these moments as they're both sadly reflecting on this they both get struck by lightning and this is a super important component of this movie <laughs> because <laughs> the way that people react to Jason getting struck by lightning, it's very silly, but it's also very caring. Every yeah. The whole town kind of like rallies behind him. They get him in a rickshaw. They, he goes with like 10 people to the hospital. There's some very silly like boppy music playing that's really yeah. cute. And the whole town is kind of saying that he's dead yeah. <laughs> they're sort of yeah. assuming that he's dead already and when they find out that he's not they do seem just a little bit disappointed more so by the fact that they can't eat food at his funeral i think right than, like, they're they just like dead cancel the funeral arrangement <laughs> yeah <laughs> 
In stark contrast to this, Shibu wakes up the next morning, still in his boat, floating in the middle of the river. He paddles himself home, he staggers into his house, and he passes out. Mm -hmm. So nobody knows he got struck by lightning. And it, it really, it sets us off on one of the main themes in the movie of, like, circumstances and the circumstances with which you go into an event really say a lot about what the results of that event will end up being. And a lot of times those circumstances are outside of your control. Anyway, we go back to the hospital with Jason. He is standing shirtless in front of a mirror, looking great, uh, and inspecting some, like, freaky veins that are popping out of his chest. (laughs) Um, They give him a shot, and as they're giving him the shot, he, like, grabs a metal gurney and he, like, puts a dent in it Mm -hmm. um which nobody really notices at the time but we get to see it as the audience um and they hook him up to i think an ekg machine and he like fries it Um, yeah so we got another electric boy uh yeah (laughs) they're (laughs) they're everywhere different different kind of an electric boy this one's real (laughs) (laughs) flesh and blood (laughs) um But Shibu, uh, on the other hand, he's still passed out at home, but he's clearly unwell and he's like shaking in his bed. And as he's shaking, a lot of the like loose articles around his room are shaking along with him. Mm -hmm. But so then we see Jason arrive back home from the hospital um, and should talk just quickly about Jason's family. He lives with his dad, his sister, his brother-in-law, Patan, who is uh, not to be confused with Patan. Poton. He's uh, very different. He's a very different guy. Um, he's a cop, and he also lives with his niece and nephew, and his nephew, Josman, is indisputably the best part of this movie. <laughs> he is such a delight. I love everything about that child. Yeah. I always, like, a precocious child done yeah. well is always a great comedic tool. Also always adds this really sweet relationship into the mix. Yes, he and Jason are so cute together. Yeah, I they're like it. best friends. Yeah. <laughs> and it's very sweet. But so Jason arrives home to an invitation to Bincy's wedding. And so he's he's not feeling great. We see him crying on the toilet while drinking, which, you know, <laughs> who hasn't been there? Um, but then we see his sister give him some of her jewelry to sell. Um, and so the next day he shows up at work at his tailor shop with a wad of cash. And Dasan who is Usha's brother, works at the mm-hmm. tailor shop. So Dasan asks Jason for money because his niece, Usha's daughter, is unwell. And Jason is basically just like, I don't have any money to give you, and then hides this huge wad of cash in like the drawer of his shop. Yeah. Um, and so this, again, we're like establishing Jason's character <laughs> at this point in time. He's a bit of a jerk. <laughs> yeah. Not the best of people. <laughs> or just doesn't really think of anyone outside of himself. Right. He's very, very selfish. But so then we get to meet BG, who is great. Uh, her yes. nickname is Bruce Lee because she's a martial arts teacher and she's famous for her powerful kick. Yeah. And we get to see this kick in action because Anish, who is marrying Bincy, was her boyfriend. Mm-hmm. So we see her, like, literally kick him, like, off a two-story balcony, and he lands in the street. <laughs> her other job, in addition to martial arts teacher, is, like, helping people coordinate, like, passports and visas and stuff. So yeah. this is how she kind of comes into Jason's world. 
But that night, Jason starts to notice that he has some really heightened senses. And there's this moment where he and his nephew, Josman, are sitting outside, and he can hear that the tap in their outhouse is dripping. But Josman's like, I can't hear anything. And mm-hmm. so he goes to fix the tap, but then he breaks it, and there's a huge spurt of water comes up. And then he, like, opens the door, and the door falls <laughs> off the hinges. And poor Josman starts screaming that his uncle has gone crazy. <laughs> Also, Jason in this scene is wearing a shirt that says low cost instead of la cost. (laughs) It was brilliant. I I love all his like off brand brand stuff. It's so funny. So, okay, the next day, Jason's brother-in-law is hitting his wife because he's a horrible guy. And Jason intervenes, but then he pushes him. Yeah. And he pushes him right through the wall (laughs) of a well, a la a cartoon character. There's like a perfect outline Mm -hmm. of his body. You know, and he, it was it was a pretty light push, and he goes yeah. flying. I would love to know the story of him. Like, was he always this terrible? Probably. Because everyone recognizes that he's terrible. Like, no one likes him. Well, except that I feel like the cops he works with are, like, oh, they're okay. kind of well, behind him. But, yeah, like... Isn't that just how I feel like he's goes. just, he's just, like, a, a small, and I don't mean physically, I mean, like, yeah. emotionally a small man who then was given power by becoming a police officer and Jen then just abuses it. Yeah. I feel like if anyone's really the antagonist in the sense of, like, just bad... Yeah, it's him. We could say it's him. But anyway, so they bring him to the hospital, and I really only bring this up because one of my favorite parts of the movie is when Jason goes to get Potan some food from, like, the the cafeteria, (laughs) and Mm -hmm. he... Uh, the guy, like, behind the counter accidentally knocks off, like, a canteen, and Jason just, like, bops it back up. He just, like, lightly kicks it with his heel, and it just yeah. bops, whoop, and goes right back up onto the counter where it was. And there's this great moment where both he and the guy who knocked it over are, like, shocked, like, looking at each other, like, did you just see that? And yeah. then Jason just, like, like kind of clicks his tongue and winks and strides off. Uh-huh. That's <laughs> um, good. But so he's starting to get some ideas about all this stuff. And so is Josman, because mm-hmm. Josman's, you know, he hears about the incident with his dad. He's thinking about the, like, the heightened senses and everything. And he also learns a little bit about lightning in school. Josman then does go and take out from the school library a book about lightning and a bunch of superhero comics. Mm-hmm. And Josman shares with Jason the theory that lightning created life on Earth And so maybe that means that now that Jason's been struck by lightning, he has superpowers. Now they have to figure out, like, okay, well, what superpowers does Jason have? And then we get an excellent montage of Mm -hmm. them figuring out just that. We see Jason discovers that he's got super fast reflexes. He can, like, catch the blades of the ceiling fan. Um, He punches a wall and cracks it and makes it probably very structurally unsound. There's a great moment where he, like, steals all of his sister's kitchen utensils and, like, stacks them up and then knocks them over and then restacks them really fast. Yeah. And his sister I, is not pleased. <laughs> no, I, I did say that, like, okay, his main superpower is great hand-eye coordination. Yes, that is, that's definitely <laughs> one of the big ones, yeah. <laughs> Which I love, though, yeah. you know, because it's like, he's definitely a superhuman Right. But not in the way that some superheroes are, like right. the over-the-top powerful. It's just like a, no, I can do some things really well. 
Yeah. Well, and I like, too, that in this movie, unlike in some of the others we've seen, his superpowers are pretty well defined. Like, yes. yeah, the, you know, the reflexes and the hand-eye coordination and the speed and the strength, right. like, those things are all there. And it's never the case that it's like, wait, where did that come from? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you can fly now? Okay. Yeah. He definitely can't fly. He does try. He does try. Um, and he is unsuccessful. I also love his sister. His sister just like, she like doesn't take any of his garbage. And yeah, yeah. she's amazing, which makes it even harder that she's married to such yeah. a jerk. Yeah. yeah. I hope that there's a sequel where uh, she leaves him. <laughs> But meanwhile, also over the course of this montage, we're seeing that Shibu is discovering that he is telekinetic and he's also pretty strong. Mm -hmm. um, but so then, yeah, we see Jason, he goes to a fair, he uses his powers to win all the prizes, and then he and Josman see a magician. And this makes them think, oh, I wonder if, uh, if he has telekinetic powers. Mm -hmm. um, and so they stack up a bunch of rocks and Jason is like trying to knock over the stack of rocks from afar just with his mind, but he can't do it. And so they're like, eh, okay, we don't have that one. And then as they turn around, the top rock falls off the stack. Yes. Uh-huh. Could have been a fluke. We don't know. We don't know. Um, we will maybe find out later. Uh <laughs> At but the most so, crucial time. Yes, it'll, it'll happen. But so then we get a little more here from Usha and Chibu. People are, like, all of the men in town are, like, after her. They're all, like, super mm -hmm. creepy around her. And she goes to the cafe where Shibu works, and Shibu's boss hits on her. He literally corners her, but she gets away. And Shibu, who has seen all of this happen, he uses his powers to pin his boss against the wall and threatens him. And when he throws him then to the ground, he says, don't bother telling the police about me. I'm too big for all of the jails around here. And then he kind of stalks off to, to go and, and see Usha. So he is also figuring out how to use his powers and he's using them, you know, at this point, understandably to cause a little bit of violence. Yeah. He goes to Usha's house to talk to her, but then they see her daughter fall to the ground um she's like passed out or something and so they rush her to the hospital as this is happening jason also finds out that the cops failed his background check for his passport or for his visa or something and yeah. in some way they've like intervened to prevent him from going to america um and clearly they've done this because of like beating up his brother-in-law but also the police chief is like no it's a clerical issue your father is listed as two different people yeah um by the way, did you know that the man who raised you isn't your real dad? Ha ha, just like drop that nugget on you. Like, what a jerk. Yeah. And so this is how Jason learns that he was raised by a different man than his actual biological father. His mm -hmm. biological father, the police chief at this point says, oh, he was just some theater guy who was in town and he died in the firecracker warehouse fire. Um, and then Jason lost his memory after the explosion. And Jason is obviously really shaken by this. And so he yeah. goes home, he's crying, and he's starting to kind of remember his dad. And he remembers being a little boy and interacting with his father. And we see that his dad was the hero of the play at the start of the movie. Mm -hmm. And that when he looked to the side and saw that explosion, he was seeing his dad's death. 
Yeah. The man who raised Jason, Varky, who I am going to continue calling his dad. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, because he he loves him. He loves him. And takes care of him. Like, he went with him to the police station to help support him. Yeah. And back him up to get his visa. Yeah. Right. And he even says that he didn't tell Jason the truth because he wanted Jason to call him dad. But he did save a trunk of Jason's biological father's possessions. um, And he explains that Jason's father was a hero in that fire and that he died saving a bunch of people who were trapped in the wreckage. Mm -hmm. And in the trunk, Jason finds a script for a play called Minnal Morley. Yes. But then, yeah, like you said, Jason's dad went with him to confront the cops. And after Jason left, his dad got kind of roughed up by the cops. And Jason finds this out and he's pretty upset about it. Um, And so he tells Josman that he's going to do what superheroes do, wear a cape and beat up the bad guys. Um, And there happens to be a celebration happening in town that night. And all of the kids are putting on a show. And they're all dressed up as, some are dressed up as animals, some are dressed yeah. up as, like, historical figures throughout Indian like history. sunflowers. <laughs> yeah, and there's, there's like, a tiger. Um, yeah. And Josephine's, like, dressed up in kind of, like, a safari outfit, even though that's not where safaris happen. <laughs> yeah, they all look adorable. Everyone looks great, including Jason, who steals one of the child's costumes. Yep. So that he can <laughs> join in the performance just long enough to leap off stage, run up to the police chief who is in the crowd and punch him right in the face. Mm-hmm. And T Minal is the song that we're hearing. And it's, uh, it's great. It's, it's a good one. <laughs> and my favorite part of this whole scene is the child who just keeps appearing and stealing the coconut drinks yes! out of people's hands. <laughs> <laughs> I forget, like, do they say thank you? I think. Yeah. <laughs> he's just like, thanks. And walks away. <laughs> It's so funny. It's just, it's so silly. I also love, there's a kid who's dressed as Gandhi, who's like cheering (laughs) on the violence. And one of his classmates is next to him and is like, Gandhi, please. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, it's like, it's such wholesome humor. It is. It's really good. There's also a moment where BG kind of steps up. She's there like with her martial arts class. She's wearing in uniform and everything. And she kind of steps up to take on the bad guy, like obviously not mm-hmm. knowing that it's Jason. And they have a very silly and ridiculous fight that <laughs> Jason does win. He's kind of like going easy on her. And then yeah. she does the purple nurple move and it's all, <laughs> all bets are off from there. Also, in the midst of all of this calamity, uh, we do see Shibu and Usha at the hospital, and Usha doesn't have the money for the procedure for her daughter, and so Shibu goes home, he grabs the head off of their scarecrow, and wears it as a mask to go rob a bank. Yeah, it's freaky. It's very freaky. But then when he gets to the hospital with the money, Dasan, Usha's brother, has already paid the bill. So somehow he got the money to pay for this procedure. But then at the end of this excellent fight song slash sequence of punching, um, the police chief has kind of one last encounter with Jason and Jason just knocks him out. Um, And then when the chief comes to, he sees on the stage written Minnal Murley. Yeah. And the next day there's a sign in town blaming the masked villain Minnal Murley for both the attack on the school and the robbery at the bank. Um, And both Shibu and Jason see this sign and they kind of have a moment together where they're like, haha, what's that about? And then (laughs) go their separate ways. Mm -hmm. 
Now, Jason has left quite a bit of evidence just sort of <laughs> lying around that would very obviously point to his being Minal Murali. Yep. Um, and so Potan figures it out, mm-hmm. and Jason realizes his mistake, and so he grabs some fabric and ties it around his face, and he goes after Potan, who has on his way to the police station to, like, turn in the evidence and say, like, this is who Minal Morali is. But so Jason quite literally catches up to Potan's car and is, like, holding it so he can't drive any further. And then he ties a knot in Potan's tailpipe, uh, and then he grabs the evidence out of his car and he gets away. But as he's running away, he's so preoccupied that he doesn't notice that he jumps on the bus that is heading right for Bincy and Anisha's wedding. Um, And he has been very clear that he doesn't want to go to this wedding. Josman, though, is adorably, like, the only person (laughs) in his family who's going to this (laughs) wedding, this 11-year-old boy. And he's just going because he wants some biryani, which I've never had before, but it makes people do crazy things. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, people love it. People love that stuff. Gotta get our hands on some. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so Jason's like, nah, I don't want to go to the wedding. But then as he's about to, like, just presumably just jump off the moving bus, yeah. um, nobody really seems to notice that he yeah. just, like, appears on the bus. <laughs> it's a good It's a good point. And had he already removed his, like, yeah, face covering? Yeah, I think he, like, okay. throws it off and then climbs onto the bus. But anyway, BG is there, and she sees him, and she tells him, like, if you don't come to the wedding, everyone's gonna think that you're still in love with Bincy, so, like, that's why I'm going, so no one thinks I'm in love with Anish, like, come and sit next to me, you look fine, don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. And then we get what is my favorite song on the soundtrack for this movie, um, which I do want to add to our Spotify playlist, which is Aromal. Okay. If you listen to it, it's just a really cool piece of music. Like, I've never looked at sheet music for it, but I think it's written in, like, 12-8 time. It's just, like, really fun to listen to. I um, I feel like I'd have to listen to the soundtrack just on its own. I highly recommend it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But we're going to add that. We're also going to add Team Minal because we can. And, that uh, sounds great. I will uh, happily yeah. let you choose those two <laughs> in lieu of me choosing one. Yeah. But so over the course of this, we're seeing everybody at the wedding. Shibu and Usha are also both there. So we get some cute moments between the two of them. We get some cute moments between Jason and BG. Yeah, it's just, it's all really cute. And then on their way home from the wedding, we get the classic, you know, love interest falling asleep on your shoulder moment. Yes. Um, And, you know, Jason wakes up to find BG asleep on his shoulder and, you know, just gets a little smile. It's great. This isn't like a fully realized love story, but the the suggestion of it is there and it's very sweet. I do confess I wanted there to be a little bit more. I would not have hated a little bit more romance. Just a little bit. I just kind of want to bask in the sweetness of it. (laughs) But anyway, we pivot now from less fun stuff and more just fully into the kind of like dark, sad superhero of it all. Yeah. Um, Jason discovers that the money that he had been hiding at the tailor shop has gone missing, and Dasan, who again works with him, confesses that he stole the money to give to the hospital for his niece to have this medical procedure. Mm -hmm. So that's where that money came from, and Jason starts yelling at Dasan, and he threatens him, and then he storms off. It's sad because Dawson says, like, I took it because I thought I was planning to replace it. Yeah. But I couldn't. 
it's just the classic Jean Valjean stealing <laughs> a loaf of bread to yeah. feed his like starving nephew. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just it's one of those things where he's a morally upstanding person who yeah. had to resort to something immoral yeah. to save a life and right. I do think there's some room for grace in that but I I agree he's clearly a really good person who cares about the people he cares about very mm-hmm. deeply and Jason doesn't handle this well you know it's no. understandable to be upset that you've been robbed Absolutely. but you were robbed to save a child's life <laughs> right and I think you know again once he has some time to think about yes. it, he's like, all right. Once his sister tells him what an idiot he's being, he does start <laughs> yes. to feel bad. But so the whole town overhears this argument, including Shibu. So he goes to get the money that he stole from the bank. Mm-hmm. Jason's family kind of guilts him into going and apologizing. His dad is like, be the bigger person. Be like your your father, your biological father, who was a hero. Yeah. Um, and so Jason goes to apologize to Dasan, but Shibu gets there first. And he gives Dasan the money that he stole from the bank, and he asks to marry Usha. But Dasan refuses, and he calls Shibu mad and references his mother also being mm-hmm. mad. And this is very upsetting to Shibu. He storms off, but then he comes back with gunpowder. And he pins Dasan to the wall with a pair of scissors, and he says everyone abandoned him when his mother died. Usha was the only person who was kind to him. And Shibu insists that Usha does love him, but she'll never marry him because Dasan objects to the marriage. So he dumps the gunpowder on the ground, he strikes a match, and the shop goes up in flames with Dasan screaming inside. I love the way that they did this whole thing. To me, this is the real turning point of Shibu is now, like, very clearly he's kind of gone over to the dark side. He's very yeah. much committing a heinous crime at this yeah, point. Yeah, he's he's now able to justify murder to himself. Right, yes, and that's never good. It's like he sees himself as this victim, yes. which in a lot of ways he was. Yeah, he sees that as giving him the right to do a lot of things that he definitely right. doesn't have and the right to no, do. Nobody, has the right, nobody to do. has the right to Nobody has the right to take a life. Yeah. Yeah. But I do really love the way that they like shot this, the way that the music mm-hmm. kind of amps up. It gets real disturbing in this moment. Also, just the way that he he sits and he's just smiling. Yep. And then you see him just shift into this persona that everyone believes of him that he's like not well he wouldn't fully comprehend what was happening and so it's like forgivable that he would just be like oh fire fire that's a that's a really interesting interpretation of that because i don't so much see him as like putting that on as an as a front I think it's understandable that that would be someone's reaction in any situation, just, like, shouting the for I, the, like, I you know. I, but there was something about it that didn't strike me as entirely genuine, which makes sense. Well, it's, yeah, and what I, I love not, the way that yeah. he, he starts off just, like, quietly saying it. He's like, help, right. the shop is on fire. And then he just, like, progressively he gets, gets louder yeah. and louder and screaming it. But I do, I think that's an interesting read of that moment and, and the, the kind of reasoning in his mind of, like, how he's kind of, like, shifting back into this persona. But so they, they put out the fire, they get mm-hmm. Dasan's body out, but he has died. Um, and Jason arrives yeah. on the scene, and he walks in to the rubble to see that... Whoever has started the fire has written 
Minnal Murley on the wall. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. just rude. <laughs> yeah, so now everyone thinks that Jason is Minnal Murley, which is correct, but they think that he's the one who started the fire because of his fight with Dasan. Right, but which is very confusing because why would he burn down his own shop? Right, which the cops mm. do discuss. <laughs> they <laughs> yeah, don't have like, a great theory for it, but... But it's always kind of funny to watch those kinds of scenes because it's just so clear that as human beings, we can really get ourselves to believe anything we truly want to believe. It's very true, yeah. You know, like, we can be like, well, that doesn't make sense, but he doesn't want it to make sense. Like, he wants you to be confused, so therefore it is him. Right. I do think the cops are really funny in this movie. Like, always think the incompetent cops are are funny, and Mm -hmm. the way that they're kind of, like, trying to come up with what's actually going on, like, who is this Minal Murley is very silly. Everyone's kind of shunning Jason. There are people in town protesting Minal Murali. And Jason is in town feeling a little bit on edge. And he sees that there's a security camera that, you know, is pointing at his shop. So he tells the cops to get the tape of that night so they can, you know, see who set the fire. Mm-hmm. And right as they're about to get to that moment, the power goes out. And then Shibu, who had also been in town and overheard that this was happening, he rolls up to the police station wearing his scarecrow mask. Um, He strides into the police station. All the cops are pointing rifles at him, but he just, like, bends all their muzzles with his telekinetic powers. And then he, like, confidently walks by the police who are, like, cowering in fear (laughs) from him. Like, again, very incompetent. He goes to grab the tape, but then Jason appears with more laundry tied around his head. And he gets the tape first, and he runs off with it, with Shibu chasing him. You know, we see them running along the road. They're running up over cars. They're throwing Mm -hmm. each other around. Shibu gets thrown into a church. I think this is honestly the most entertaining chase scene of the superhero movies we've watched so far. It's a really good one, yeah. It's a really good one. And I just love that last week, you know, you mentioned that the people making this film were like, we had zero budget. Like, it was super low cost. Um, (laughs) Low And I just... Right, and <laughs> low cost. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I just love how good of a film they were able to make with a low budget. Yeah. That's and so, so because cool. you had said that, I was watching it with that perspective of being like, okay, they did all of this without this massive right. Mumbai CGI budget. It was really I, good and really yeah. entertaining and not too long. Thank God. Yes. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. It's, it's very nicely paced. But so as they're running, they end up on a bus and Shibu incapacitates the driver. I don't know if he's actually dead, but yeah, that poor the, driver. <laughs> yeah, he's not able to direct the bus any longer, but it is continuing to drive forward. And Shibu and Jason are fighting on the bus. Shibu ends up winning this fight. His telekinesis is more powerful than Jason's, like, strength pushing against his telekinesis, ultimately. Mm -hmm. Shibu gets the tape, he breaks it, and then he jumps out the back window of the bus. And as he's jumping, Jason grabs him by the collar, rips his collar, and then they both kind of, like, fall and land flat outside the bus. And Shibu, he leaves Jason just lying on the ground. He's not at the point yet of wanting to kill presumably innocent people. Um, So Jason gathers himself. He gets up just in time to see that the bus is about to roll off a cliff. (laughs) 
And this is where we kind of transition into like a Fast and Furious film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I loved it. I mean, it was right. awful. It was scary for those people. <laughs> I'm sure it was very scary because as the bus is tipping, it tips so severely that a little girl falls forward and she actually falls out the windshield and yeah. gets like hooked on a piece of the windshield. I know. I was like, would love to know the physics of how that happened. Physics have no place. No, um. and I appreciate that. <laughs> It's not a perfect movie. It's just a very good movie. I mean, Um. (laughs) yeah, I think that being like, well, you know, that has to physically make sense. As much as I always like to complain about it, I don't actually want something that makes physical sense all the time. It's not entertaining. Yeah, I like to acknowledge it when it comes up, but I have no problem with it. Exactly. But so then as everybody is standing all worried and like screaming and like, well, the little girl, the bus starts tipping back Mm -hmm. to, you know, its proper alignment. And we see Jason being a hero, pulling the bus back onto solid ground in his Mm. flip flops and his loongi. I just yeah, noticed perfect. <laughs> I noticed the sandals as well. I was yeah. like, he did it in sandals? In flip-flops. In flip-flops. It's wild. I think I gasped. I was just like, wow. <laughs> oh, he's yeah, he's a hero. He is a hero. And he has beautiful legs. Which yes, he does. <laughs> is not a feature that I ever really admire on a man, but Tavino Thomas's legs are very nice. Okay. (laughs) Um, So the girl's collar rips, but right as she's about to, like, fall down this cliff, Jason grabs a rope, he dives down, and he catches her just in time. And before he leaves, he writes, Minnal Murali, and then in parentheses, original, on the side of the bus. (laughs) And then we get some sweet moments where Jason and Josman are working together on a Minnal Murali costume. And we see that there are people in town, like the, the people who are on this bus, who are starting to see Minal Murali as a hero. Yeah. I mean, once you save a bus full of people... Yeah, that's going to yeah. do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, going to sway people. It's got real, like, Spider-Man 2, the part on the yeah. train, which is, like, one of my favorite moments in any superhero movie ever. It's great. It's got yeah. that kind of energy. Yeah. Also, I was just thinking about how much I love that Jason is a tailor, because mm-hmm. for probably the one and only time this <laughs> plot point ever makes sense, like, it yeah. makes sense that he would make his own costume. Right. Yeah. Whereas, like, so many, mostly the Spider-Man, which I love. I love Spider-Man. And also, unless their suit is made somewhere else, like, none of those boys, none of those Peter Parkers are tailors or, like, sewers. They don't know what they're doing. Nope. And then I'm like, you expect me to believe they came up with this, like, pretty amazing piece of lycra? Nah. Nah. Lycra's real hard to sew with, too. Yeah. You you need practice. (laughs) Um... Anyway, eventually Shibu and Jason do finally figure out who the other is. Um, Shibu finds the files at the hospital of Jason being struck by lightning. Jason uses the tag that he pulled off of Shibu's shirt to like track him in the records at the shop. Um, mm-hmm. So the other has been outed. So Shibu confronts Jason and he's like, let's forget all this ever happened. All I want is Usha and now I can find have her. Like all of the obstacles are out of my way. And Jason's like, bro, you've killed people. And like, what are you going to do when Usha finds out? And Shibu says, that day will be the day I burn this town to the ground. 
Well, that's um, not freaky. <laughs> no, yeah, that's a perfectly healthy thing to say. Meanwhile, behind them, a mob has started forming, armed with sticks and rocks, and the cops pull up, and it turns out that Shibu's boss has finally outed him as Minal Murali. But then Potan has found conclusive evidence that Jason is Minal Murali, so he arrests Jason and locks him in like a holding cell at the police station. Mm-hmm. Shibu does get away from the mob and he heads home and he's like packing up his stuff like he's going to leave town when he sees that Usha and her daughter are in his house. Yeah. And Usha, she's looking at a drawing that Shibu has made of the two of them and she just says to him, I never knew. This moment is like so it's... sweet, but also so creepy. And I just love it. It's so well done. <laughs> it's yeah. We are left looking to Usha for any sign of which direction we should be leaning in yes. and like what we should be feeling because yeah. her reaction is what determines our feelings. Exactly. Which yeah. is very cool. Like, yeah. yeah, you know, if she had rejected him in this moment, it would have been like, this was really creepy. But the right. fact that she doesn't, it is still a little bit creepy. But it is. Um, <laughs> Shibu sits beside her and says he's been longing for her for 28 years. Um, and then Usha asks him to be with her and he starts weeping. Yeah. But then he sees that the mob is coming for him, and this time they've got torches. And he kisses Usha on the forehead, and he tells her, yes, I'll be with you. And then he goes out to face the mob, um, and he's holding them off with his telekinesis, but his boss actually throws a torch over him, and it Mm -hmm. lights the house on fire. Um, And again, this house is full of gunpowder. Yeah. And Usha and Shibu both when it like when it's already too late realize what's about to happen before they can prevent it the house explodes shibu has been running towards it it throws him back into a ditch and people think that he's dead the explosion has killed usha and her daughter yeah that's like the saddest part honestly is that her daughter her daughter is like a victim Mm -hmm. of the decisions of usha who is a victim of the decisions of Of shibu like yeah had he not made the choices he made, she probably wouldn't have come to him. Right, but, yeah. And also, she wouldn't have died. Yeah. And, like, would he rather live in a world where she's alive and not with him, or is finally with or him only to die? Only to die, yeah. And it's like, God, I love movies that make you think about this stuff. Exactly, yeah. Like, complicated yeah. stuff where, yeah, like, things are, decisions made way earlier on in the movie have these huge impacts later on. Yeah. It's, it's great. Um, and sad. <laughs> And also very sad. Really Um, sad. And there's also, like, I love that they have basically a love song playing underneath this whole thing. You know, you just don't know how to feel. But so, anyway, there's a big carnival happening in town, um, and Shibu, who has survived the explosion, shows up. His face is all burned. Um, He's wearing, like, a cloak. He's got some balloons, because why not? He's being real creepy. It adds to the creepy factor. Yeah, Yeah. he has fully gone now. There's really, like, nothing of his humanity left. He's just fully gone into this, like, creepy supervillain place. And he has set a bunch of explosives around this fair, and they start going off, and people start running around in panic, while Shibu just dances among them, screaming to them that there is nothing to fear. So the police chief goes to Jason in the holding cell, and he says, you're our only hope. 
so Shibu is terrorizing people at the carnival. He's trapped a bunch of people, including Josman. Not in, cool, man. Not cool. <laughs> like in, I think this is in the church maybe. And he's like counting off these explosions, but then the one to blow up the people doesn't happen. And we see him like climb up into this. I'm going to keep calling it a church. He climbs up into the church and he gets thrown out the window. Yeah. And the crowd, who is still, like, surrounding the church, but at a reasonably safe distance, watches as a masked Jason dressed to the nines as Minal Murali in his yeah. tight costume superhero glory stands atop the bell tower, having just kicked Shibu out the window. The crowd starts cheering, and Josman is crying, and I have chills, and it's great. <laughs> I loved it, and yep. I love that his costume covers the bottom part of his face yeah. instead of, like, the top part of his face, which is what so many, like, superhero outfits do. They're like, all you need is, like, to cover, cover the eyeballs. The yeah. Honestly, it probably makes a lot more sense to cover the lower half of your well, face. And we know from COVID that when yeah. someone covers the lower half of their face like, and I don't you don't know, know who they are, like. sometimes it's hard to tell who they are. Um, yeah. So Jason and Shibu fight. Um, it's Jason's strength against Shibu's telekinesis, but Shibu ends up getting the better of Jason, and he traps him against a wall with a big cross. Mm. And Shibu pulls off Jason's mask, and Jason is begging him not to hurt innocent people, and he says he Ugh. understands how Shibu feels having lost someone that he loves. But then Shibu starts smashing Jason's head into some bars, and he's saying that nobody understands how he feels. Everyone rejected him, and now they'll all die. And Jason falls to the ground unconscious. And then Shibu hits a wall, causing the bell in the bell tower to dislodge and start to fall towards Jason. As this is happening, Jason is kind of having these flashes of memory of talking to his father. And his father talking about, like, someday when everyone looks up to you, that's when you'll be a hero. When everyone counts mm. on you to protect them, that's when you're a hero. And Jason's little boy self is saying, but like, what if I don't win? And his dad is basically just like, you will. Aww. And at that moment, the screen goes black and then some really intense violin music starts playing. <laughs> um, his telekinesis has finally like manifested itself. And so he is holding the bell up in the air and he mm -hmm. throws it at Shibu. And I love the way that this moment kind of comes together where Shibu is like, you know, he catches this bell and all this rubble that Jason is throwing at him and it's like preventing it from hitting him. And then Jason just like knocks it out of the way and punches him. Like he yeah. in that time has like gotten there and starts beating him up. And so they fight some more. Now they're evenly matched. And at one point Shibu gets a spear and he tries to throw it at Jason only for Jason to grab the spear and turn it around and stab Shibu. And he's dead. That move was so cool. Mm -hmm. Coolest moment of the whole film. <laughs> I was just like, I love this cool flippy spear move. I'm yes. very impressed. It was very epic. I kind of liked Shibu's death. It was just like super quick and just like, whoa. Okay. Yeah, it's done. There yeah. it is. Like it wasn't like they drew it out or had him do any yeah. sort of like more corny monologuing or anything. It was right. just like done. Honestly, yeah, no, there's nothing corny about this film. No. <laughs> there are some elements that you're like, oh, that's funny. Yeah. But it's not corny at all. There's yeah. goofiness, but it all kind of fits because right. Jason's a little goofy before he really becomes a hero. Yeah. Um, BG, like, she is the one who actually saves the day. I love that she is a person who is, she's a very strong woman, but mm -hmm. she's not 
She doesn't have superpowers. Mm-mm. She's just like a normal person who tried to save people and yeah. then she succeeded mm-hmm. through her like intelligence and physical might. Yep. And that is really impressive. And that's yeah. like what the whole movie's about. <laughs> <laughs> She's amazing. I absolutely love her character. And the way that she, like, she finds these explosives, she, like, kicks the wall to, like, get the water to knock on them so they don't go off. Because, like, if she hadn't done that, it would have exploded. everybody, yeah. like, would have died. So, right, yeah, she Jason saves the was day. busy doing something else. Exactly. Yeah. Jason had no idea that she was down there. But so then Jason, he walks up onto the rubble, maskless. The townspeople surround him, and we fade to black. And Jason, we then see in the next scene, does finally get his passport, but he tells BG that he's not leaving and that he still has work to do here. And then we see him standing on a church as Minal Murali, but without his mask, because everyone knows who he is. (laughs) Um, And in a voiceover, he explains that he is the chosen protector of these lands and that this is not the end, but the beginning. If evil comes, he'll be there to take it on as the savior of this land, as Minnal Murali. And then we get some epic music over the credits and yes. all the chills are here and it's great. And I'm pretty sure they've confirmed a sequel. So <gasps> Great. I was just about to ask. Yeah. That is incredible. I'm very excited. <laughs> yep. I really appreciated the small scope of it. Yeah. And I, I think that maybe a few years ago I thought to myself that's not interesting as a superhero film. Like, I want it to be big. If it's not the end of the world, then what are we doing? Right. But no, it's like, that's kind of the whole point, is that, like, it's really important for people to be heroes in their communities. Yes. And I was also thinking about how, you know, when we were talking about the differences between, like, Bollywood scripts Mm -hmm. and really any other film industry in India is that all these other industries are, like, we're focusing on, like, actual common problems that face yeah. the people in our communities and I was like yeah I see that now like it's funny because I read about it and now I recognize it as I'm seeing it and mm-hmm. I have a greater respect for it than I yeah. did before so yeah I loved it <laughs> I, I no, I really appreciate the ways that you share how like yeah some of these new ways that we're starting to think about these movies as we encounter Mm -hmm. them are changing our perspectives even about things we've already seen and that it's the growth and I love that I love hearing that I'm just so glad that we that we watched this Mm -hmm. and I am very interested to hear what you decided to learn about this week yeah it was kind of hard to come up with something (laughs) based on this movie so I, I researched too many things again okay um the first thing I looked into was Indian immigration to the U.S. Oh, okay. V- random. <laughs> I know. But, but it was very relevant. A, it's such a plot point. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, just a few fun facts. We're not going to get too into the nitty grittiness of all the numbers and stuff because that gets boring. <laughs> but if anyone's interested, globally, the U.S. is the second most popular destination for Indians living abroad after the United Arab Emirates. It's interesting because I think in my head I just assumed the UK would be one of the top. Like up there, yeah. Right. <laughs> I don't know. It's just like the US is far away. It is far away, yeah. Yeah. But during the 19th century and early 20th century, Indian immigrants arriving in the US were typically migrant workers. Mm. So it was a lot of physical labor mm-hmm. um, in those time periods. 
But after World War II, Indian immigrants typically started coming to work in professional fields or study at U.S. universities. Large-scale Indian immigration to the U.S. only occurred after 1965, though, mm-hmm. um, which is when Congress abolished the national origin quotas that mainly limited immigration to mainly Europeans. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a whole part of the U.S. history that we're not going to get into, but yeah. it was kind of like them saying, oh, we aren't just accepting like white Europeans. There are maybe people from other countries that who would contribute, to contribute value to our society yeah mm-hmm. yeah mm. God. gotta love it imagine um, that yeah and today indians represent the second largest immigrant group in the u.s oh. after mexicans wow yeah very interesting as of 2021 there were 2.7 million indian immigrants living in the u.s and they make up six percent of the total foreign-born population that yeah <laughs> so there you go i i also just looked up the foreign born population which is around 45 million people wow which is like 13 percent of the u.s population that's yeah that's so i would be curious to know how many indian americans mm-hmm. are like living because that's just the people who like were born in india right yeah and moved here yeah so certainly if you're just if you're broadening that scale to people who identify culturally as indian right who live in America, that's a much bigger number. Yeah. And who are like, we're born here and whose parents might have been born here. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. And I was just like, I don't know. I always thought, you know, I, I kind of always made fun of Kohonaho or like, oh, look, we're everywhere, like in New York City. And now I'm like, you know what? Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry for doubting you. Um, also, something I wanted to bring up too, just because I saw it and I was like, oh, all right, this seems important. But there's also been a rise in unauthorized arrivals of Indian migrants at the U.S.-Mexico border. Okay. There's a movie about that. Oh, <laughs> we should watch it. It was. It, it just went off Netflix somewhat recently, but I'm hoping it'll come back. Darn um, it. Okay. Yeah, because it's really interesting. Was it a more recently made film? Yeah, it was like, I think 2016, Dulcar Salman is in it. <laughs> oh, okay, great. But yeah, so between October 2021 and September 2022, border authorities encountered Indian migrants 18,300 times. So they must have, you know, that's probably more people than that because they're probably traveling in groups, some of them. Right. Um, whereas a year earlier, it was 2,600 times. Wow. Yeah, so it was like this huge jump. And it's thought that the increase can be attributed to growing religious and political prosecution of non-Hindus, as well as reduction of pandemic travel restrictions and extended U.S. backlogs that Mm. have created long waits for legal immigration. But mostly I wanted to highlight that we're seeing, even in our own like immigration policy, an impact of the nationalist movement in India. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's fascinating that it's so far reaching. Mm-hmm. That was not the reason that Dulcar Salman okay. uh, needed to come to America in the movie CIA Comrade in America. Um, well, that sounds great. <laughs> but he had his reasons. That's, oh, that sounds great. And then the second thing I researched was. Sorry, mm-hmm. can I, before you do that, can I just really quickly interject with another thing about religious persecution in please. India? Yeah, please do. Um, actually, it was in an interview that I saw that Minal Murali's set was actually defaced during filming 
because these people are celebrating Christmas, you would not be surprised to learn that like they're Catholic. Toby Thomas is a Catholic right. actor. And the church set was defaced by Hindu nationals while they were filming. Um, and Hindu nationals Oof. like protested this film. I mean, it's not like it's a big it's plot point that they're a... Catholic. No. But like they just are. And right. that was a huge deal like, for factions of the Hindu national. Group. Again, yeah. it just, it makes me so mad. It's like what other people are practicing it doesn't affect you. No, yeah. You know, it's like one thing if they're like, you need to convert, but they're not doing that. In fact, you're the ones doing that to yeah, other people. Exactly. You're yeah. the problem. <laughs> yep. Oh, that's upsetting. It's a great movie, so. It is a great movie. Yeah, those Spit Hindu on nationals don't know Hindu what they're missing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but switching to a more lighthearted topic, uh-huh. I also looked into Amar Chitrakasa, which are the comics that Josman says as he's like mentioning, like, what, you never read these comics? Like, uh-huh. okay, well then let's talk about the American superheroes. It was like one line, and I thought, that's something. I'll look into <laughs> that. Oh, that's awesome. So, Amar Chitrakatha, also ACK, but it is an Indian comic book publisher based in Mumbai. And most of its comics are based on religious legends, historical figures, and folktales. Oh. Yes. As an idea, like as a very baby concept, it was started by a Bangalore book salesman named G.K. Ananthram. And the first ACK comics produced in 1965 were written in Kannada mm-hmm. and were a great success which then led to interest in expanding an English-based operation. Yes. So two years later, in 1967, ACK as it's known today was founded by a man named Anant Pai because he was shocked that Indian students could answer questions about Greek and Roman mythology Mm. but did not know as much about their own Indian mythology. Fascinating. And so Pai started this operation by buying the rights to 10 American fairy tales, including Red Riding Hood, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, Jack and the Beanstalk, and Pinocchio. I would argue that some of those aren't American. Yeah, like Pinocchio? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but, but, you know, you get the gist. This is Wikipedia. What do you want? Um, And the first comic released by the Mumbai company was called Krishna presumably oh. about krishna yeah that makes yeah. sense <laughs> just a hunch it was about Bob. Oh. surprise <laughs> um and by the late 1970s ack was selling five million copies a year and were circulating around seven hundred thousand comics a month wow so like they had some success that's legit <laughs> yeah. yeah and they have been criticized in the past for promoting nationalism mm. and distorted depictions of history Although these same critics noted that comic books themselves are unable to capture the complexity of Indian mythology because it is like an oral tradition and there's usually several variations of the same stories that exist in the same world. So literally the people being like, you're not capturing the complexity are like, well, you can't really capture the complexity in a comic (laughs) book. Um, And I would argue that ACK's mission is to just try to make it more digestible for for children to kind of grasp the points of these stories. And that maybe they're not like, this is the end-all be-all. Yeah. Um, Felt important to bring up the criticism, but also feels important to bring up the ACK's answer to this. Mm -hmm. 
ACK responded saying that they've published comics focused on personal community across various religions, including multiple Muslim characters and even a whole issue on Jesus Christ. Um, And like the list of Muslim characters was literally like 10 to 12. Like it's substantial. It's not like, well, we've got this one. Yeah. And in response to the criticism, so after they said this, they then published even more issues about uh, Muslim and Christian stories. That's great. So clearly, it, it really does feel like they are trying to be accessible to everyone and that they're not trying to push a specific agenda. Yeah. I think it's more that in the atmosphere of Hindu nationalism, whenever you're like, we have this whole line of Hindu stories, people mm-hmm. are like, oh, you're pushing uh, Hinduism. Yeah. <laughs> But yes, the editors at ACK have really tried to feature regional folktales and local heroes to appeal to different people across India. That is so cool. It seems really cool. And like, I also saw that apparently they've produced a few animated shows. Nice. So I, it just seems like a good thing. I want to read those comics. I want to see those shows. That sounds super cool. Um, yeah. Who yeah. knows if they're any good? I, I don't know. But There's only one way to find out. There is, yeah. <laughs> that's what I researched. So very quick. <laughs> that's awesome, and that's all very interesting, and I appreciate that little extra bit of knowledge now that we have. Um, yeah. Your second piece of research reminded me that I remember seeing maybe a month or so ago, I think maybe at San Diego Comic-Con, they announced that they're actually doing like printed Manal Murali comics. <gasps> Um, oh yeah and I don't know like how extensive that is gonna be but I remember seeing like posts about it on Instagram and it was definitely announced at an American comic-con that Um, is so great well clearly I mean there's a lot of Indian people living here yeah so good yeah (laughs) (laughs) absolutely yeah and it's just fun that they're taking it to that medium that being the medium where this genre really originates and so and really kind of like gets a lot of its inspiration still like there are certainly moments in this movie that feel like they were trying to evoke the feeling of like reading a comic book yeah Yeah. i I think they did it yeah Yeah. absolutely amazing the only do you have any bollywood news i do actually for once do you want to go first or do you want me to go first huzzah i can go first go for it (laughs) it happens so rarely have you seen, has Netflix advertised the film Heart of Stone? Yes. You? Yes, I just saw this last night. Yes. So I saw it a few days ago, and I was like, that looks like Alia Bhatt. Uh-huh. And then it, like, changed, and I was like, wait, but that's Gal Gadot. <laughs> and then everything I saw after was just Gal Gadot. So then I was like, Katie, you're imagining things. And I guess in a certain way, you know, from a certain angle. It's like two dark-haired women. <laughs> right. Maybe I got confused. <laughs> And then it switched back, and I was like, no, that's definitely <laughs> Ali Abad. Yeah! So, my Bollywood news is that, yeah, Ali Abad is starring alongside, weirdly, not weird, Gal Gadot's not weird, <laughs> starring alongside Gal Gadot and Jamie Dornan. Yeah. He was the one that I was like, huh, Has okay. he been in things since Fifty since, Shades of Grey? <laughs> I mean, I think... He needed some recovery time. He needed a bit of a break, yeah. <laughs> he was like, this was awful. <laughs> but yeah, so I actually watched, I meant to watch it before we recorded so that mm-hmm. I could actually speak to it as a film. 
it didn't happen, but I did watch the trailer. Yeah. And have you seen the trailer? Yes, I just watched it last night, yeah. Alia Bot appears to be the villain. Yeah. And that is so awesome to me. Yep. I I'm so excited for her that like she's in this film. Mm-hmm. And excited that she's usually like the darling girl, you know, or like the darling woman. Like she yeah. is yeah, I don't know. She strikes me as someone who's probably a dear sweetheart, but maybe maybe right. they don't really have that concept. No, but... but I think that if they did, it would be her. Like, she's yeah. huge right now. Yeah. Right. And I'm so excited to see her, like, stretch her acting chops mm-hmm. in that way. So I'm just really excited. It should be fun and interesting. I honestly wasn't going to watch this movie <laughs> until I saw that Ali Abba was agree. in it. Yeah, because otherwise, you know, like, some sometimes that kind of genre isn't really my cup of tea, but I am yeah. going to watch it because I do want to support Ali Abad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I had also, like, I hadn't really processed it, but I had read interviews recently where people mm. had been, like, talking about, like, oh, yeah, and Ali Abad is in, in Heart of Stone and talking about the broadening of Bollywood and just the Indian cinema right. universe, like, more generally, like, out into the, just... into the rest of the world makes me so excited because mm-hmm. as we talk about literally every week it's like sure I, I don't necessarily think these Indian actors or Indian film industries need that added fan base yeah but there's so much that they have to bring to other yeah. industries yeah, that I'm exactly. just really excited to see that crossover yep, yeah definitely and I love the idea of someone being like oh this woman was such a good actress in this movie. I want to look up her body of work. Right. And then maybe like getting massive. into Bollywood. Yeah, and they're like, yeah. this is, she's been in so many things. She's enormously famous or among like a fourth of the world's population. <laughs> huh. um, yeah, it's great. Yeah. My only thing, actually on a very similar note, um, the, the series Guns and Gulabs came out. Yes. And you started I have, watching it? I have watched the first four episodes so like roughly the first half of it and I love it it's great. so good it's so interesting it's so well acted and well written and it's funny but it's also like scary and intriguing and I okay. just I have no notes I am just enjoying <laughs> being like brought along for the ride yeah yeah I will say it's been teasing me every single time I log into Netflix uh-huh. I'm like oh yeah I see you don't worry <laughs> I see you yeah, it's great. I, I highly recommend it. Great. I yeah. will watch it then. Because it feels like every time, too, that I log on, it's like a different pose of Rajkumar uh-huh. Rao. <laughs> and every time I'm just like, you're adorable and I love you. You know what is really funny is whenever I see the thumbnail, it's always Dilkar Salman. What? And so I wonder if, like, Netflix, does Netflix might. know? <laughs> They might, they're because like, they might recognize that I've never watched any of his things. Yeah, and they're like, that and I this have chick has watched all of Dulcar Salman's work that's on Netflix, so we'll make sure that she's, yeah. Little do they I, know that I love I them both. <laughs> right. You would be swayed no matter what. But. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Pluggables. Pluggables. Uh, we have an Instagram, Two White uh-huh. Girls Talk Bollywood. Follow us there. Comment, like things if you want. You can DM us. Yeah. Uh, we'll we'll respond <laughs> in a maybe not timely fashion, but eventually. Eventually, and yeah. We appreciate that outreach. It's not because we're jerks. <laughs> it's we're just we're bad at social media. At social media, <laughs> yeah. 
Um, We're millennials. What can we say? (laughs) Millennials, I think, are supposed to be at least somewhat okay. I mean, somewhat okay, but that's how I would describe our exact abilities is somewhat okay. (laughs) That's true. But yeah, so there's that. And you can also subscribe to us on whatever podcast platform you listen to. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can rate, leave a review, whatever you want to do. And uh, thank you for listening. Yeah, thanks. And join us on YouTube and Spotify. Listen to those Bollywood Bangers playlists. It's a real fun time. Um, And we post links to those playlists in every episode description and in our posts on Instagram on Tuesdays. Yes, we do. Great. So, our next film. (laughs) I will say, please don't compare it. Oh God, it's 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 been a few years since I watched it. I will Same. confess that. But the first time I watched it, I was obsessed. <laughs> um, we will be watching a flying jot. Yes, we will. <laughs> um, which is is a commentary on climate change. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> Among other things, maybe I don't know. Starring my guy Tiger Shroff. Yeah. Um, it's entertaining. It is very entertaining. It's very goofy. I don't think we've ever argued that Tiger's one of the best actors in the no, world. Nor would and we. I, <laughs> no, and I continue to not argue that. Um, but he's a fantastic dancer. Yeah. He's great at the action scenes. And I think there's a lot of entertainment to be had. Yeah, he's always fun to watch on screen you're still gonna be entertained by just the way he like bops around like his physicality is always really entertaining right and it it feels great to see that i think he's really like i'm an action hero yeah he has never tried to be anything other than what he is and i appreciate that about our tiger i Um, agree yeah and we should also say this is going to be our last superhero movie yeah. for now. We're ending with a bang. Uh, yeah, I, that's a great way <laughs> of putting it. Absolutely. A Flying Jot is available on uh, Z5. Um, shall I read the IMDb plot description? Jot is a reluctant superhero who fights crime and protects people. He meets his match in the evil Raka, who he must vanquish to save the day. His name is not Jot. He is a Jot, right? Yeah. Yes, correct. <laughs> correct. Yeah. His, I mean, his superhero name is the Flying Jot. The flying Jot. Yeah, but that's his... But that's not his name. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, the synopsis on just, like, Google mm-hmm. is Amon... A meek youngster who is scared of heights. That's like one aspect of his character. (laughs) I I would not say that that's his main defining feature. But Um, it's in there. Anyway, uh, discovers his superpowers. And again, he he does get them through an act of nature, but it's fine. When he engages in a fight with Raka, a greedy industrialist ally who becomes a beast and plans to destroy the world. It is very on the nose, uh-huh. um, but also has a delightful, like, little love story, and yeah. is also about family. Yeah, um, and is sad. Yeah. <laughs> so you've that to look forward um, to. But also, similar to Minal Murley, also kind of about, like, a son taking up his father's mantle. Yes. And those dynamics are always fascinating to, to see play out. Um, it yeah. does have one of my favorite dance numbers ever. Great dance number, yes. Yeah. I'm excited to, to watch it again in context. Even yes. though there's not really much context for it, if I remember correctly. 
Yes. And and we get Jacqueline Fernandez, too. Yes. I wanted to mention that she's in it. They're great. So Ooh. looking forward to that. Yeah. Excited for next week. And until then, remember, Mollywood doesn't need us. No. But we definitely need Mollywood. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Please frame. <laughs> <laughs>